Hello, and welcome to Quantum Computing Now, a podcast about quantum computing basics, news, and interviews. I'm your host, Ethan Hansen. Today I will be interviewing a professional in the field of quantum computing. This type of episode is great for other professionals and people who want to absorb technical jargon through diffusion. This episode is a recorded interview with Amira Abbas, one of the winners of Kiskit Camp Europe 2019. She wrote an excellent Medium post about that experience and some suggestions if you're interested in going to a Kiskit hackathon. But first, I have to give a disclaimer. This podcast was recorded before the whole Quantum Fight 2019 started, so please, please understand that some of what we talked about was speculation without all of the evidence, because the evidence just hadn't been released yet. Alright, with that said, let's get into it. So, I have with me Amira Abbas, uh, and... To start, can you just give us some background on how you got into quantum computing and what your field of research is? Yeah, sure. So firstly, thanks for having me. Um, I have a little bit of a different background to physicists. I started in finance, actually. I studied uh, actuarial science, and this was because I knew I liked math, but I didn't know what else like what to do as a career. And when you grow up in a very conservative Indian family, it's often you're told to do accounting or be a doctor. And I I didn't like this. So I thought, okay, I'll try and do something that's a little bit more math heavy. And I went into actuarial science and ended up working in finance for a bit. And then I found this realm of machine learning and artificial intelligence. And I thought, wow, this, this is really fascinating. But for some reason, I still wasn't completely satisfied from a technical point of view. So I tried to teach myself more, um, watch online videos, you know, and and learn. Mm -hmm. And then I came across a lecture where the lecturer was a physicist, and I found um, this realm of quantum mechanics. And I went down that rabbit hole and then found (laughs) this new field, this emerging field of quantum machine learning, which like integrated everything that I I was fascinated about. It had quantum, it had uh, machine learning, you know, and, and so I thought, wow, I really, I have to get into this. And, and yeah, so I did. And now I'm doing my master's in uh, quantum machine learning. Very interesting. So before we dive into any of the technical stuff of quantum machine learning, let's, let's get this out of the way. You were the winning team at Kiskit Camp Europe 2019. Uh, Congratulations. And what was that like? (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it was, um, I think from my perspective, it was quite a a shock because I was super intimidated just to to go there. um, And let alone, I never thought that that we'd be the winning team. But it was absolutely (laughs) an amazing experience. Um, From the time I got there, I realized that people are so friendly um the the crowd that was there was like quite a unique one it was people from very different backgrounds but all fascinated about quantum computing and i think like ibm did did a really good job um you know with the logistics of the event the location of course was beautiful um the people were really nice and the organization was just done amazingly so yeah the experience was great i thought it was very efficient everything was done via github which i really liked and yeah. um, and this made ending a project quite easy as well. So yeah, really, really enjoyed it. I strongly recommend it for anyone who's looking to get into quantum computing, even if your background is not so technical. I think it's still a very cool event to go to, to go for. Awesome. 
So the project you worked on specifically was an integration between PyTorch and Qiskit. It was called a Kizglory, I believe. <laughs> yeah, so the name um <laughs> the name is because the venue was called Peace Gloria and so yeah, we just replaced the P with a Q. And the project itself was um it was it wasn't my idea. Um it was actually posed by two of my teammates, Patrick and Carl. And I saw it on uh, on GitHub as one of the issues. And I thought, wow, okay, cool. This is something I can at least understand and something that I think is quite interesting and of course something that will be really beneficial. And uh, what what it was was to essentially try to integrate the QSkit framework with the PyTorch framework, the the Py, PyTorch library, which is an open source, very popular machine learning library. And um, how it works technically is we wanted to eventually fully integrate these two functionalities, but at first we just had a minimal working example where we wanted to show that we could train a machine learning algorithm that has both a classical and a quantum aspect, a classical node and a quantum node. And so what we needed to write was a function that takes in a quantum object, so like a quantum circuit, and tensorizes this object. So it converts it to a tensor so that PyTorch can then read it and understand it. And then if PyTorch can take in this tensor, it can then do cool things like optimization, you know, using gradient descent or fancy optimizers in PyTorch, and then feed back these parameters into the quantum object such that the quantum object is optimized. So we managed to successfully demonstrate this and um, we managed to actually do a few cool examples. Um, my favorite was we trained uh, MNIST. So um, MNIST data sets are very small. We just took two, two data points actually. And, okay. um, and we fit this into a classical neural network and then we condensed the nodes down to just two. And these two nodes were two, you can understand them as like two parameters that would be in the quantum circuit. And then we optimized this entire thing using, um, I think we used the Adam optimizer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And these notebooks are all publicly available. So yeah, it was cool. It was a fun experience. I learned a lot. <laughs> Very interesting. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're solving problems using quantum optimization not using machine learning to optimize quantum computings? So, hmm, that's a bit of a misnomer. So the idea, I think, I think it could be viewed as both. So in a sense, you've got a variational circuit, right? So you have um, a circuit that depends on some parameters. And very often you want to tweak those parameters to either minimize a cost function or maximize some objective function. And yeah. this is your quantum node, the variational circuit. And so what the PyTorch QSkit integration was doing was saying, we have this quantum node, but we also have classical nodes as well that also have parameters which we want to optimize. And so you use classical machine learning techniques to optimize these parameters. So the cost function or the objective function sits outside of the quantum node, and it incorporates your classical parameters and your quantum parameters, and it minimizes or maximizes them depending on your problem. So it uses classical machine learning techniques and tries to tweak your quantum and classical parameters, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, yeah, cleared it up. Thank so you. So in a sense, it's optimization, but it's also machine learning, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
what before we get more into quantum computing, why PyTorch over something like Keras or TensorFlow? Yeah, good good question. Um I don't actually know. <laughs> we we didn't really we didn't really have a preference. So I think none of us were actually familiar with PyTorch before we started this project. So the aim was to learn a lot. And um, and we did because I myself was previously more experienced with TensorFlow than PyTorch, and so were my teammates. So this was actually quite, I think, arbitrary and uh, good in a sense because now we've we've broadened our horizons, and I actually really like PyTorch. Awesome, yeah, that's great. I, from everything I've heard, these Kiskit camps are just a learning experience all around. So that's really cool. Um, so yeah, let's. Let's dive into the specifics of how Kiz Gloria works. Um, you've mentioned that there are classical nodes that feed into quantum nodes by um, tuning different parameters. Uh, what parameters are those that they're tuning? Yeah, so this is um, very specific to your problem, right? So in our example of the MNIST data set, what we did was we fed the inputs. So the inputs were 28 by 28 pixel uh, images, right, of numbers. And you can take this 28 by 28 matrix and stretch it out into a very long vector. And this is like your input. And then you can con condense this input down to, to uh, less nodes, right? And you, at every condensation, you have weights linking to the, to the neurons in, your, in a neural network. Let's use a neural network structure. And so eventually you condense these neurons down to, to when you have, well, in our case, we just had two, two neurons. And then we fed these two neurons into the quantum circuit. And what this means is these two neurons were parameters in our quantum circuit. And we used a very, very simple case where we just used an, an X rotation and, an, and a Y rotation, I believe. Um, these might have been different, maybe a Z and an X, I can't really remember. But the point is, there were just two rotational gates. And hmm. how you rotate, like what value represents each parameter. And then when you measure the state of the circuit, like the expectation value of the quantum circuit, you get a value. In our case, we did a sigma Z expectation, and you can either get um, one or zero. And this corresponded to the binary classification of the digit. So in our example, we just trained okay. two digits, zero and one, and we wanted to classify whether this was zero and one. And okay. yeah, so that's, exa that's exactly what happened. And then of course, depending on your measurement, you go back and you tweak all the parameters in the neural network and also the, param the two quantum parameters in the rotation so that you optimize everything for classification. Yeah, interesting. Um... So I've looked through the notebooks and I've seen a lot of VQE and QAOA popping up in different places. Um, I've, I've heard of those two before, but I don't really understand the difference between them. Um, could, you, could you maybe expand on that a bit? Yeah, sure. So, um, so VQE is actually quite a, it's a very beautiful algorithm and it's also, it's quite intuitive, I feel, to understand. Um, so variational quantum eigensolver it essentially does exactly what it says in the name right it finds um it it finds eigenvalues um and the whole goal is to exploit the structure of a variational quantum circuit so a quantum circuit that depends on parameters okay and okay. so the eigenvalue the eigenvalue problem is like 
trying to find an eigenvalue of an often very large matrix is quite difficult. So what we do in the quantum sense is we have this, this large matrix, which is often uh, the Hamiltonian of your system. And okay. to find the eigenvalue, to find the eigenvalue, what, what you do is you prepare some quantum state that depends on parameters. And then when you measure your system, you are essentially measuring the expectation of this Hamiltonian. And then you can go back and tweak the parameters that you prepare the quantum state such that when you measure the expectation of the circuit, when you measure the, the expectation of the Hamiltonian value, you measure the lowest value. You measure the ground state. You're trying to approximate the ground state of the Hamiltonian. And essentially, the ground state kind of corresponds to the smallest eigenvalue. And so this is really, okay. really cool because it's saying, well, we can prepare, we can prepare some state. It varies. It depends on parameters, and we can tweak these parameters such that when we measure our system, we're measuring um, an eigenvalue which we're trying to solve or, or find. And um, and QAOA, it, it yeah, it is very cool. And like QAOA, I guess one can view it as a subset of VQE, which is why I guess it's it's often difficult to distinguish the two because they both exploit mm. a similar principle. They both exploit the structure of variational circuits, where they're both hybrid quantum classical circuits, right? Because tweaking yeah. the parameters involves um, classical optimization, like you do in machine learning, where you're trying to minimize a cost function. And QAOA is often used in like very complex optimization problems, where you encode the dimensionality of your problem into, into a quantum state. And then you measure uh, you measure things such that the string that you measure, it maximizes some objective function. And again, you use classical machine learning to go and optimize these parameters. Okay, interesting. So when you say uh, encode the dimensionality of your, your state, how does that work? How does that step specifically? I'm, I'm, I can't quite visualize that one. Yeah. So imagine, imagine like you have, um, let's use a graph problem where you've got nodes and edges and there are different combinations um, which you can represent with a binary representation, right? Zeros and ones. Okay. And let's for simplicity say that you just have, um, you've just got a combination of zeros and ones, but let's just use three, three bits. So you've got 000, 010, and so on. And so you can take 000, so three qubits, and you can push these qubits into superposition, where now you've got all combinations. And mm -hmm. so each combination represents uh, a string that you can insert into your cost or objective function and measure some value such that you, you optimize a problem that you're looking at. So this is quite vague, but I think like, some of the the common problems are um, like MaxCat and so on, which I guess I'm not really that familiar with. QAOA is not my domain at all. <laughs> I in fact okay. attended a, a lecture by uh, Peter Vitek um, in February where he explained QAOA using um, Ising models and totally other ideas other than graph optimization, which was yeah. quite cool. Um, but yeah, I think the the main takeaway is that all these algorithms use the variational principle and this classical hybrid approach really changed the game for what 
constitutes quantum machine learning. Yeah, very cool. So, yeah, as you said, this is sort of a, a proof of concept, Kiz Gloria was. Um, but how do you hope that the project will help or influence um, other people in the quantum computing field moving forward? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so we're we're trying to actually work with IBM to to make this more tangible, where they can um, in, actually have it integrated into their uh, their Aqua element. So Qiskit has several mm-hmm. elements. One of them is Aqua with with um, higher level algorithms. And I think for me personally, the hope was whenever I attend a conference, it's always um, it's always a quantum or it's classical machine learning and the quantum yeah. uh, and classical communities are very divided. They're very, um, they're very separate. And I often feel like I'm not part of either because when I go to a classical machine learning um, conference, I I'm like this weird quantum person. Then when I go to a quantum conference, <laughs> I'm this weird machine learning person. And so like this idea was really close to my heart because it could, in a sense, allow people who use PyTorch and classical machine learning quite often to now explore what it means to insert quantum into their algorithms and how this can how this can be used, what this means mathematically and computationally. And it opens the door for them to start doing research in the quantum space. And that's really what we need right now, because quantum machine learning is still you know, very much emerging and growing. And, and by getting people excited about it and starting to use the stuff in their research, I think that this was like the end goal of the Keys Gloria proof of concept to try and get more classical people into quantum. And of course, you know, allow quantum researchers to, to, um, to make their research more beneficial, more efficient and uh, use machine learning as well. Yeah, that's a awesome goal. So I'll throw this in, a little off topic, but um, I'm assuming you've heard of the Google and NASA quantum supremacy paper that got accidentally released a while back. Um, I'm working on putting out a podcast episode on that right now, and I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, of course, I've, I've heard about it. Um, everybody's been, you know, was talking about it for a long time after the retraction. Um, I don't, I don't personally have any thoughts because I guess, you know, I'm a theorist and, um, this, this idea was, you know, that they've managed to produce something that would be beneficial and then reduce the runtime significantly of what would happen on a classical computer. But my, my inkling is that they must have made a mistake somewhere in their findings. Um, you know, that's obviously why they've retracted it. And maybe yeah. someone has actually written a clever classical algorithm that can do what they claim classical computers can't do. So it's very, it's very, uh, it's very scary, <laughs> or um, to 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 just claim quantum supremacy like that. So I personally am uncomfortable with the term because it's been so, you know, it's it's been thrown around quite a lot, and no one really defines it very well. But in my opinion, it's it's not necessarily just showing that a quantum computer can speed up something um, or like speed up sampling massively. It's, it's tangibly yeah. proving that a quantum computer can answer a problem or, a, or do something that a classical computer can never do. So, you know, even though a quantum computer can do things like factor large numbers really well, this doesn't mean that someone really clever ca- can, cannot write a classical algor- algorithm that can do this. 
So yeah, I'm not sure what Google and NASA were up to, but I have a feeling they've, they've made a mistake, which is why they retracted the paper. Yeah, it's a very level-headed approach. I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, uh, sort of wrapping things up, what do you think is the biggest promise in the field of quantum computing moving forward? And then what do you think is the biggest challenge? Yes, that, that's that's an amazing question. <laughs> um, so the biggest promise, I always say that I hope that quantum computers can search a different space. And what I mean by this is like mathematically and computationally, maybe it can exploit a different state space and answer questions or provide algorithms that are classically intractable. And I'm personally looking into a um, very beautiful idea of um, quantum feature maps. And what this means is, you know, in classical machine learning, there are many algorithms that use kernel functions. And these kernel functions essentially measure similarity of, of data points of, of things in some space. And if you manipulate data and cast it into higher dimensions, you can apply what is called a feature map, which is just a function. It takes data in and it maps it to a high dimension. And then a kernel measures the similarity of these data points. But now in a quantum setting, nobody really knows how to encode information, classical information, into quantum states. There are many proposed ways, like amplitude encoding and stuff. But like nobody really knows what's an efficient way to do this, and especially yeah. for a machine learning task. And it turns out that encoding uh, in classical information into a quantum state corresponds to a feature map in quantum Hilbert space. And so hmm. like studying, yeah, so studying how one embeds information into a quantum state and then manipulates this, uh, you know, again, maybe using variational techniques such that you can solve a complicated machine learning problem is something very, very cool. So I think that quantum computers and quantum computation has a lot of promise for very complex optimization problems and also like like speeding up bottlenecks in classical machine learning algorithms like calculation of kernels and stuff like that, which are, of course, very common in support vector machines. And in terms of the biggest challenge, uh, with yeah. obviously, I think, I think that's, that's going to have to be the hardware. But I mean, just a few years ago, nobody really thought that these quantum computers would ever exist. And now we have, we have them, we have working qubits and yep. although they're quite noisy and they're not, they're not very big, we still, we have them. And so I have a feeling that this is going to really drive innovation. It's going to force physicists, engineers, computer scientists to come together in the space, which previously, you know, doesn't really happen. Um, so yeah. this is this is going to be very cool. I think this challenge is is going to be one in which forces us to to work together to solve um, this hardware problem, so that we can actually use these quantum computers and develop these cool algorithms and so on. Awesome. Um, so yeah, final question: Is there anything or uh, anyone you want to plug? Uh, last thing you want the listeners to know. By plug, <laughs> do you mean like a shout out? <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm, I'm obviously not cool enough to know these kind of uh, <laughs> terms. Um, I guess uh, my, my supervisors, I mean, Maria Schultz and Francesco Petruccini, 
without them, I would not know a single thing. I think, um, you know, I had no quantum knowledge a year ago. And just in this, in this last year, I'm very, I'm very privileged to have had them guide me through this whole quantum machine learning journey. They are super humble, amazing. And they've also written a book called Supervised Learning on Quantum Computers, where if you're interested in like the deep theory of what quantum machine learning is, I highly recommend reading this book. So yeah, those are the two people I'd like to plug. Is that the way you say it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. cool. Well, Amira, thank you for coming on the show. Um, we'll get that link to that book in the show notes. Um, yeah, thank you. Perfect. Thanks so much, Ethan, for having me. All right, for the previous episode corrections, I'm excited I actually have some things to correct, or at the very least, update. So, as I said in the intro, the Quantum Fight 2019 stuff happened, um, and first of all, allow me to say I'm very happy I went with the approach of cautiously optimistic, because whatever happens, I can just say I was right. Things go wrong, I can say, ah, oh, I was being cautious. Things go right, ah, oh, I was being optimistic. <laughs> um, anyways, here's an excerpt of what IBM has claimed in their blog. We argue that an ideal simulation of the same task can be performed on a classical system in 2.5 days and with far greater fidelity. This is in fact a conservative worst-case estimate, and we expect that with additional refinements, the classical cost of the simulation can be further reduced, because the original meaning of the term quantum supremacy, as, a, as proposed by John Preskill in 2012, was to describe the point where quantum computers can do things that classical computers can't, this threshold has not been met. But Google fired back by releasing the actual paper, not just a leaked preprint, and that paper is very similar to the leaked preprint, with a few minor additions, deletions, and rewordings. No, notably, it says that the computation would still take 10,000 years. At this point, I'm not sure all of what's going on, who's going to come out on top of all this, so again, don't have all of the details. Um, my initial reaction is, IBM, you're saying you can do this on a cl classical system in 2.5 days. It's been more than 2.5 days. Put your money where your mouth is. But I might be jumping the gun on that. Um, also in the previous episode, I mentioned that the quantum algorithm run on p-bits, probabilistic bits, was a modified adiabatic quantum computing algorithm, so it was a subset of all quantum, quantum algorithms. However, I recently learned that there was a proof, and that there has been a proof for quite some time now, which shows that all the quantum algorithms in other models, like the quantum gate model, can be run on an adiabatic quantum computer with at most polynomial overhead, which means you can run those algorithms on the adiabatic quantum computer, it just might take longer or more qubits. Um, what this means is that p-bits can run a broader set of algorithms than I think I originally led on. Hey, I'm actually getting good feedback. Thank you all. So far, people from the Netherlands, India, and the U.S. have reached out, so that's pretty cool to know that I have an international following. Um, the questions were mainly, how do I get started in quantum computing and just sort of jump right in without having to go through all of the, the PhDs and masters and all the background that typically people say that they have gone through to get to quantum computing. Um, there are a bunch of frameworks that you can start playing with right now. Um, IBM Quantum or IBM Q Experience with Qiskit is sort of the, the main one everyone talks about. However, I'm going to talk about like all of the quantum computing frameworks 
in the next episode. So if you can wait on wait for that, I will answer those questions then. Um, if you have a question, future topic suggestion, or just want to tell me how I'm doing, please reach out to me on Twitter at one Ethan Hansen, or send me a voice message on Anchor. If you think I'm doing terribly, you want to yell at me on Twitter or Anchor, do that. Um, I'm pretty sure that's when I know I have arrived, is when someone yells at me and tells me I'm doing an awful job and should totally quit this. As always, links to what we talked about in this episode can be found in the show notes. Links also to some Quantum Fight 2019 stuff, papers, uh, blog posts, and I'm not really sure where to put this, so I'm putting it in this section. Uh, in the fifth grade, I had a teacher, Mrs. Bachmeyer, who was fantastic. She always encouraged me and let me go at my own pace, which I really appreciated. She also asked that when I'm old and famous someday and giving a speech somewhere that I mention her. I don't think I'll ever be more famous than this podcast, so here's to you, Mrs. Bachmeyer. Thank you for being my teacher. And finally, Quantum Computing Now is produced in partnership with thequantumdaily.com. The Quantum Daily aims to cut through the technical jargon and the overhyped fluff pieces to deliver quality, comprehensible content about quantum computing. If you enjoy this podcast and would also like text resources, be sure to check out thequantumdaily.com, which I have linked to in the show notes. Thank you all for listening, and I'll have the next episode out when I get to it.